0: Three simple steps to a fairy tale summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. To the Read Aloud Revival podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hey, everyone, this is episode 13 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. I'm Sarah McKenzie, and I've got a great show for you today. Well, first of all, you guys are crazy awesome. Those iTunes reviews are still rolling in, which is fabulous because whenever someone leaves another rating or review there, that gives the podcast a little more social juice and um, iTunes shares our podcast with new people who are looking for something like it. So I know it takes a few minutes out of your day for you to click over there, but I really appreciate it when you do that. So thank you. Thank you. If you haven't yet, Be sure to listen to the special edition episode of the podcast and get all your free worksheets, printables, and the Read Aloud Revival Jumpstart Challenge e-guide over at readaloudrevival.com. It's free, and I've gotten such great feedback on that. So many of us are jumpstarting a read aloud habit in our homes in just five minutes a day, and you can do it too. In fact, when you grab the Jumpstart Challenge Packet at readaloudrevival.com, you get free access to the private Facebook community, and you want in on that. I cannot believe how much is happening there. If you want to connect with other like-minded parents who are trying to be more intentional about reading aloud and building up a family culture of shared reading, you need to join us there. There are so many good recommendations for book titles, for specific ages and situations even, and wow, it's just an awesome place to be and hang out. I feel totally honored to be a part of that conversation. And if you haven't joined us, well, we'd love to have you. Again, you can head to readaloudrevival.com to find out how to be a part of it. Today's episode is going to inspire you, especially if you have a budding or struggling reader on your hands. Marie Ripple, creator of the fabulous All About Learning Press, is here with me to talk about the amazing impact that reading aloud can have on a child's ability to read. I ask her how much time should be spent reading aloud compared to reading lessons, her favorite read-alouds for struggling readers, and how to read wordless picture books, which are kind of their own thing. The whole episode is just really insightful. At the end, I'll tell you how you can enter to win a $100 gift certificate to All About Learning Press, one of my very, very favorite places to get curriculum for our homeschool and for my own struggling reader. So make sure you don't miss it. Here we go. Today we're going to be talking about the role reading aloud plays in helping a child learn to read. And there's no one better to help us understand that very thing than Marie Ripple. Marie is the founder of All About Learning Press and developer of their flagship teaching tools, All About Reading and All About Spelling. Born out of her own need to teach her dyslexic son to read and spell, the curriculum at All About Learning has become a widespread favorite for its ease of use and mastery-based learning. It's the hands-down reading instruction choice in my own home. We completely love it. And I'm excited to talk to Marie about the role that reading aloud plays in helping a child learn to read. Hey Marie, thank you so much For joining me today. I am so excited to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Sarah. I'm delighted to talk with you. (laughs) Can you start by telling us a bit about what you do and your family and sort of your journey to get to where you are now? Uh, Sure. Um,
1: Since we're talking about reading, I have to start with my own childhood. Some of my earliest memories are of my mom reading aloud to me and my two siblings. You can picture it, one of us on either side of her on the couch, leaning against her. And then the third one of us would be sitting on the floor by her feet with the dog. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved listening to my mother read aloud. Mm. And she even let us get out of chores if we were reading a book. (laughs) So it was a really strong culture of reading when I was growing up. My mom didn't always have a car when I was little, so we didn't go too far. Um, And even when she did have a car when we were in grade school, we still didn't go very far. Um, At least one year, we didn't have a TV, and I can't ever remember missing it. We weren't enrolled in sports or clubs, so life was pretty simple. But we had books everywhere, and (laughs) books just showed us the world. So fast forward to now, I live in northern Wisconsin with my husband, dog, two ponies, and a dozen chickens. (laughs) I have um, two kids uh, who I homeschooled through high school. And they're now adults, um, ages 22 and 24. And as you mentioned, my husband and I own All About Learning Press, and um, both of our kids work for the company. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, I still get to see my kids every day. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Which, yeah, makes me a very happy mama. <laughs> and so right now, my life is um, totally devoted to helping parents and teachers teach reading and spelling.
0: Very good. Um. Well, the story of your son being diagnosed with dyslexia when he was a child is pretty heart-wrenching. So would you, would you share that story with our listeners? Mm-hmm. You would think that with my own personal great
1: start in reading, that teaching my own kids to read would be easy. And it was with my daughter. Reading came very easy to her. Okay. But for my son, it was a completely different story. And in fact, when he was nine, a pediatric neurologist told me that He had severe dyslexia and would never learn to read or spell. And that was just completely horrifying to me. I tried everything I could to help him, tutored him. I brought him to specialists. I tried so many different programs and approaches, but he still couldn't read. He realized that he couldn't read, but the other kids around him could. Uh, And he was a really bright kid in so many different ways. But just the fact that, you know, he knew that he should be able to read, but he couldn't. Right. He... He became very angry, and I'm not really sure the best way to describe it, but it was like he changed from an open person to someone hiding behind layers of masks, Mm -hmm. just masks to cover up his feelings of inadequacy, and it got harder and harder to work with him. My husband and I got desperate and tried to get professional help for him. And a doctor who didn't know my son's history misunderstood what was going on, and he ordered that our son be institutionalized. We refused, um, and they came for our son with six police officers, um, Oh wow! and we literally escaped that situation. And at that point, I knew that if my son was ever going to learn to read, it was up to me. I was going to teach him to read and get my kid back and just peel away those masks. As you can imagine, I threw myself into a time of intense research, um, and I already had an educational background, so I had a head start there. I spoke with experts in the literacy field and just tested, tested, tested. I developed a multisensory method for teaching reading and spelling, and my son learned to read. He started reading, and he never stopped. So he now heads up the IT department at our publishing company.
0: Okay, so is the the program that you... Um, use at all about reading, and all about spelling. Is that pretty much what you used with your son, just developed for others to use? Yes,
1: yes. And then
0: I was able to add to
1: it. Um, I, I tutored other kids and just worked with hundreds of families. And just the the feedback you know, that I got, I just kept building into the program. At this point, tens of thousands of kids have learned to, to read using this method.
0: Yeah, it's been really successful in our home. We're really, really happy with it. (laughs) Mm,
1: Great. Glad to hear that.
0: (laughs) Well, what role does reading aloud play in a child's learn-to-read life? Mm, Reading aloud to your child plays a huge role. Um,
1: It's so important that in every single lesson in the All About Reading program, I add a reminder to the end of the lesson to read to your child for at least 20 minutes a day. I'll highlight three roles that reading aloud plays. Number one, when your child listens to all these great books, he or she internalizes the idea, I want to read books like that someday. And this builds your child's internal motivation to read. Motivation can help them stick with it, even if they occasionally run into roadblocks as they themselves learn to read. I've worked with many dyslexic kids who were very driven to learn to read, even when the going got tough, because they had that desire that comes from being read to.
0: An intrinsic motivation then, a reason they wanted to do it mm-hmm. besides, mm-hmm. you know, fulfilling somebody else's assignment for them. Right,
1: okay. right. So then it's it's worth the hard work. Another role is the power of their imagination is strengthened. As children are read to, they visualize the book's events in their minds. They can experience the events and situations that are outside of their personal experiences. And they can picture life in other parts of the world and in other cultures. That visualization is is really important. And this leads to the third big role that Reading Aloud plays. It builds kids' comprehension. You know how when you're reading a book, you'll stop and discuss a part that might be unfamiliar to your child. You know, like you'll you'll talk about a, a character's Motives, or right, right. Um, or you'll fill in missing background information, like a historical event, or something or. about where it's
0: taking place, or something. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, through this discussion, you can help kids make good predictions, and things like this helps your child better understand the book and its characters. So that that really builds into their comprehension. So now your child's, you know, has gained motivation, the ability to visualize and listening comprehension, which later translates to reading comprehension. So you add in phonemic awareness and systematic phonics in fluency practice, and your child is a reader.
0: Okay, so can we talk ratios then? When when you say that reading aloud is crucial for a child's learn-to-read life, what do you mean by that time-wise? Should we spend equal amounts of time reading aloud and working on phonics or... You know, when the going gets tough and the schedule gets squeezed, which it always seems to at some point, (laughs) should one trump the other? If we're talking about a preschooler
1: or kindergartner, you know, a young child, I would spend significantly more time reading aloud than I would on phonics. Okay. For older kids or those who need remedial work, I would split up the available time roughly 50-50. Okay. So as an example, if I had an hour available, I'd spend a half hour on reading lessons and a half hour on read alouds. If the schedule gets really squeezed, I would actually push out some other subject like science or history or math or writing.
0: Right. I think Andrew Putowa from the Institute – well, actually, I know Andrew mm-hmm. Putowa from the Institute for Excellence in Writing and Dr. Christopher Perrin from Classical Academic Press both say the same thing, that if you have to shuttle other entire content subjects off the schedule to make more room for good, solid mastery in reading, it's worth doing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I'd skip
1: – House cleaning <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> or okay. sports or even a shower, <laughs> yeah,
0: just to keep that reading front and center. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy-top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word "fairy tale" all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, There's a replay, so make sure you register, even if you can't join us live on May seventh. Again, text the word "fairy tale" all one word to the number three three seven seven seven. So you frequently blog about reading wordless picture books, and I find that pretty interesting. So, how does one go about reading a wordless picture book, and what, why would that be a worthwhile thing to do? Mm.
1: Wordless picture books are a cool genre. They tell a story but without the printed text. Um, They rely on the illustrations to tell the story. Uh, They can communicate humor, emotion, and complete storylines without a single word. Mm. And since there's no words, you don't read it to your child. You read it with your child. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you talk about the illustrations and point things out to each other. You imagine what could be happening and um, really just discover the story for yourselves. For younger kids, wordless picture books help develop vocabulary and language skills. And that's because as you talk about the book and invent the plot, you and your child are conversing and using words that you probably don't use every day. darling example of a wordless picture book is Hank Finds an Egg by Rebecca Dudley. Okay, I don't think I've heard of that one. Uh, Yeah, um, this is Rebecca Dudley's first picture book, okay, and she actually created the, the, the character Hank out of a, he's like a little stuffed animal, and she moves him into different positions, and you, you just follow Hank along as he finds an egg and, and cares for it, and then a friendship develops by the end, and it's a really, really cute book. Okay, mm-hmm. And there's even wordless picture books for older kids. Well, these books are much more complex, and um, one beautiful example... Uh, is Unspoken, a story from the Underground Railroad by Henry Coles. And this is a story of a girl who discovers a runaway slave in her family's barn back during the Civil War. Mm, The black and white pencil illustrations Mm -hmm. just pull you in. Okay. And you really live this instance with the girl. Uh, You feel her fear, her confusion, her determination, and the resulting friendship. Um, This book is... A real gem. Um, so there's even you know these books for older kids. They're um, they can you know relay history, all with illustrations without a single word. Other others are mind benders. You know that where you just really have to think them through. So um, a cool genre of books.
0: One of our favorite wordless picture books is Goodnight Gorilla by Peggy Rath. Many. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that. I just think that one's hilarious. But I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. there were um, wordless picture books for older kids, so I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to look into some of those. Are there any books in particular that are really great read-alouds for struggling readers? Mm.
1: There's a wonderful category of books called interactive picture books. Okay, and these are wonderful for reading aloud, not just to struggling readers, but really to any kid who has a hard time sitting still. Interactive books. Invite the reader to get physically involved, whether it's lifting a flap, sticking their finger through a hole in the book, finding a hidden object, uh, even opening an envelope and pulling out a note, uh, that sort of thing. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. And they're very engaging and they keep your squirmy child <laughs> involved and interested <laughs> without forcing him or her to sit, sit still. Right. Mm-hmm. The first book that really turned me on to this category is uh, Press Here. Uh, by Hervé Thule. This book is so simple, yet it's almost indescribable. You really um, need to see it in person. <laughs> okay, <laughs> So yeah, just try to get your hands on a copy of that one, no matter what ages your kids are. That's a cool one. Okay. Okay. I'll make
0: sure I link it up in the show notes so
1: everybody can find it. Mm-hmm. Another great interactive book is called Waddle by Rufus Butler Sater. And um, this is another book that almost defies description. Um, As your child moves this book or moves his head, the book appears to come to life. You know, you see the penguin waddling or the the animals running. um, And they appear to move through a technique um, that the author developed, and it's called scanimation. So that one's worth seeing, too. Two more wonderful interactive uh, books are Can You Make a Scary Face by Jan Thomas and Flora and the Flamingo by Molly Idle.
0: Okay. I am jotting all these down so we can link them up. Everybody can find them. Okay. Tell me about those. Um, can you make a scary face? Um,
1: by the end of the book, you're you're almost convinced that you have a bug that you need to wiggle off your nose. <laughs> uh, um, in Florida and the Flamingo, a girl who's dancing with this flamingo, you lift the flap and you see how the girl is mirroring the flamingo's uh, movements. And it's it's just a real playful book. And Every child that I've shared it with, boys or girls, really gets a kick out of it.
0: Okay, well, I love asking this next question to my guests. Um, if you were stranded on a deserted island with your family and could only bring three books, what would they be? Ah, oh, that's a good question, Sarah. This is actually a fantasy
1: of mine when I was a kid. Okay. Oh, when I was in grade school, I was hugely inspired by the book My Side of the Mountain by oh, Jean Craighead George. Yeah. I wanted to live in a redwood tree and survive off the land like Sam Gribbley did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd bring that book along for a dose of inspiration. Okay. My kids really enjoyed that one. My husband read
0: that mm. one. I, I think last year was to the kids. So Yeah,
1: that one makes a good read aloud. And um, then I'd bring Stalking the Wild Asparagus by Joel Gibbons. He was well-known like in the 60s and 70s for um, foraging wild foods, and that's why he called it stalking the wild asparagus because okay. he would he would find plants and he would have he he called them wild parties
0: okay <laughs>
1: uh, where he would serve um, his friends only the foods that he had foraged
0: oh interesting
1: on my deserted island <laughs> I think that would bring a certain luxury to living off the land yeah it sounds like to, it <laughs> let's see the third book um, if my Daughter was coming me on this, or she was marooned with me. Um, mm-hmm. She would love to read "Baby Island" by Carol Brink.
0: Oh my goodness! You know what? I think my oldest has read that book, but I don't think I've ever read it to the rest of the kids.
1: Yeah, that one's really a classic. My daughter read it when she was. Oh, she read it several times when she was younger. Um, it's about two sisters who were marooned on an island alone. With four infants.
0: <laughs> Which so would be gonna, hilarious to read in our house right nice. now because we have the three babies. Oh my goodness, we need to read that book.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And if you think it's hard to do it, you know, in your house, imagine on a
0: on a deserted island. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so great. Okay, so there's been so much good in this podcast episode. I think so encouraging for those of us who are teaching younger children or even older children, how to read and what, you know, the role for reading aloud plays in that whole process. But what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from this episode? Mm.
1: If your child struggles with reading, whether it's because of dyslexia or auditory processing disorder or any learning difference, I really recommend a two-prong approach. Um, Number one, use a systematic, multi-sensory approach to teaching reading and decoding. Okay. And then number two, read, read, read to your child, no matter what
0: age. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time, Marie. It's been really helpful to hear your perspective on reading aloud and the role it plays in learning to read. So I totally appreciate you talking to me today. Well, thanks, Sarah. It's been a joy. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is A, and I am years Oh, Where do you live? In Victorville. Uh, uh, yeah. Say, I live in Western Australia. I live in uh, uh, yeah. What is your favorite book? <laughs> Dear Zoo. What do you like about it? That it has a puppy in it.
1: is michael vincent and i am
0: eight <laughs> no <laughs> six years old i live in perth australia
1: my favorite series is a little house series <laughs> because
0: <laughs> laura was <you> know, teen. <laughs> Marie has generously offered a $100 gift certificate to anything at All About Learning Press to a listener of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Head over to readaloudrevival.com and click on episode 13 to look for how to enter for that. That's it, friends. I hope you've been motivated and inspired, and I hope you're ready to commit just five minutes a day to building a family culture of shared reading in your own home. You can get everything you need to do just that at readaloudrevival.com. Until next time, go build your family culture around books.